This episode's sponsor, The Little Catholic Box, is offering a few ways to make this season of life a little more beautiful. The Little Catholic Box offers both subscription-based and one-time boxes, full of curated artisan products that bring the beauty of the Catholic faith into everyday life. Right now, for a limited time, The Little Catholic Box has a special Be Not Afraid mini box available on their website, thelittlecatholicbox.com. This box includes hand-selected products like a beautiful Divine Mercy watercolor print and a chrism-scented candle. It's a great way to let someone know you're thinking of them or to offer yourself a little bit of encouragement and sacredness. The Little Catholic Box also wants to give the listeners of this podcast a discount on their upcoming quarter two boxes, which will ship at the beginning of May. These boxes will be a delightful Mother's Day gift, a sweet surprise for a friend you haven't seen in a while, or a great way to bring joy to your own doorstep. Use the code CCBEAUTY at checkout to get $20 off your first delivery when you sign up for a new subscription. This code expires the first week of May, and almost three-fourths of the quarter two boxes are already pre-sold, so use the code CCBEAUTY soon. Learn more about the Little Catholic Box's offerings at thelittlecatholicbox.com. Hey there, creatives. I'm Courtney Kubasa, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm just kidding. I'm Anthony. Courtney is unfortunately out this week, so I thought I would drop in to say hello. Don't worry. Her fantastic NPR podcast host voice will be back next episode, but until then, you're stuck with me. A lot has happened in the last three months for all of us. On our end, it was absolutely intense. We had to postpone the summit and grieve all the work that we had put into that and then figure out what to do with our lives in the meantime. I think it's been a universal experience for Catholic creatives to feel blocked, depressed, unable to create during this time. I know that was my experience as well. And this conversation that I had with Matt Marr on our live stream on Facebook was very helpful for me in helping me see creating not as an act of producing something for other people, but as a way to engage with myself and with the questions and the doubt that this time put me in touch with. Just a note, the audio is a little messy because Matt's microphone was picking up his computer speakers fairly loudly, and there's also an adorable moment about two-thirds of the way through where his daughter comes in to demand his attention. I'm posting the full conversation unedited, warts and all, because I think that it's appropriate to be a little more raw with all of you during the season in which all of us are feeling a little bit less put together and a little bit in need of authentic connection. So please enjoy this deeply moving conversation with Matt Marr. Thanks for coming on. This is, uh, this is quite an honor to, to have you back. And last time was was not a live interview, as a podcast. So this is like stepping up the ante here. So yes, yeah. But uh, I uh, I wanted to ask, you know, as we we're getting started, um, what's been your favorite slash perhaps most humorous moment of of uh, quarantine? Wow. Um, I mean, I have three kids, eight and under. So I would say. Um, every day is a is a series of hilarious moments um we're doing this thing today where uh we're having a neighborhood zoo so people are socially distancing themselves but as they're walking with their kids i guess households are like uh pretending to be different sort of like paddocks or um exhibits at a zoo wow I literally walked into my I came back from my studio, walked into my house yesterday and my living room was full of inflatable monkeys and uh, and an inflatable palm tree or several. And and my kids were acting like monkeys. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty funny. I mean, it's not it's not a necessarily like uh, humorous um, in the, in a embarrassing sense, but um I'm trying to think. You're you're catching me a little bit on the spot. Um, I just saw um, my uh, sister-in-law posted a a rather hilarious meme of um, the Last Supper with oh, yeah. as if it was like a Zoom meeting. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> hilarious. 
It's one of my favorite memes so far. (laughs) I would say the hilarious thing for me in general every day is me trying to access internet streaming technology because (laughs) all of a sudden I'm like my dad with a remote control in the late 80s going, how does this thing work? And that's what I feel like now with like every app. Like I'd never even heard of this, of Be Live. Actually, someone someone sent it to me yesterday. So when Mm. I saw the thing, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's a streaming thing. But then all of a sudden I'm on there and I'm, and it's asking like for permission to do everything, which I'm like automatically suspect of. Like I've realized I'm very, I actually am kind of paranoid. Uh, I'm probably just really, I, I didn't realize I was that um, mistrusting of the internet, but I generally am. Like when someone's like, when when some program is like, hey, can we access all your information? I'm like, no, I just <laughs> want to use the thing. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that I think I find myself hilarious in the sense that I I I uh, I feel like I'm aging myself out with uh, technology, but I'm I'm doing my best to keep up to speed. So. Yeah, same here. Anybody that's watching live, if you guys want to go ahead and and post some of your favorite uh, quarantine social distancing memes for us to comment on, we'd be happy to uh, you know give some give some of our commentary on that. Or if you if you want to share your favorite uh hilarious old person moments i mean i know for me uh i've been i've spent the last year uh really trying to get away from social media like i've i've been like it's time to it's <laughs> Heather, how do i, okay. I enable okay. that <laughs> <laughs> all right i got it uh that's hello <laughs> yeah i i realized that um i Instagram has changed very dramatically over the last like two years and I've been like away from it. So I came back on and I was like, okay, it's time to be an influencer during this season. And then all of a sudden felt like I was this like old crotchety human being trying to ask like my sister-in-law how to like use Instagram. It is a weird thing. Like it's uh you know, uh, not to get too serious too soon, but it is sort of this thing that like literally right before the entire world jumped on the internet at the same time, there are all these really meaningful conversations about connection and who are we and how much time should we spending on this? And is it disembodying us like on a weird, weird existential level and people seem really lonely than they've ever been before. But in a very real way, like there's people living in major cities who are like stuck in an apartment and this is now the only way that they can actually stay connected. Um, so it's it's a very interesting dichotomy for sure. And um, and it's a real weird thing, I think, even as an artist, when you're um, used to, you know, making your art and then living in the tension of that art being monetized. Yeah. And I think particularly when it's influenced uh, by your faith, there's another rub there of attention of, of well this art somehow it you know speaks to the good the true and the beautiful but uh, it ministers to people but it's also a way of life but now um you know there's like a rapidly increasing number of millions of people who are unemployed in the country and they're all looking to be inspired and so they're all turning to this the same thing and what's weird is that we all forget the whole time Google's making and Facebook, I mean, even right now, like we're having a Facebook check and Instagram is Facebook, by the way. It's just yeah. Facebook for people who hate Facebook. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, look, that's what they did. They're like, oh, you people hate Facebook. Let's buy Instagram. They're all there. <laughs> they won't even know. Any, they won't even know differently. It's like it's all it's all Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and they're making massive amounts of money in ad based revenue. So yeah. don't. Uh, what I would say is if you're on there and you're doing ministry, someone's making money off your intellectual property. So alleviate your conscience with that right there. <laughs> and uh, knowledge is power. Yeah, knowledge is power indeed, for sure. I think it's a, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird, funky time. Um, it's a very interesting, very, very strange. And we're all, everyone, you know, I was, I just wake up and I'm, I just pray, Lord, Help me do the best that I can and help me assume that everyone else is trying to do the same. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like sort of like help me appeal to, to, to my better angels. Indeed. 
So are you are you uh, creating anything during the season? Are you like working on music or uh, leaning into that? How are you sort of approaching? Because I know that you so much of what you do is like relying on events and being out and about, right? So that must be a pretty significant change in lifestyle. Well, like what I would say is that um, uh, I uh, have always valued the role that playing music in like with and around other people plays. Um, and I've always wanted to maintain the importance of that. Um, because I think that that's part of the, what makes the creation of music, uh, in terms of all forms of art, what makes music really, really, um, uh, uh, special, I guess I would say to me is that it is a, like all art, it's a shared form, but it is this space where someone can be doing something that's like intensely personal, but then you're creating this music or you're re, you know, re-performing or replaying a song that you wrote with other people. And so all of a sudden it's this real shared, meaningful experience. And then there's people there watching it and listening to it and they're able to have the same kind of experience. So it's a lot of intimacy. Yeah, it's a lot of intimacy. And I think I've always just sort of seen the value of it and I love doing it. Um, I was a jazz major in college. And so that's, you know, jazz isn't something that you go play in a bunker. You go play shows, you play at coffee shops, you'd play at clubs. You, um, and it very much is like a, it's a, it's a very, it was a very, you know, at the at times, like I, it's a spirituality. It's like this whole people that love jazz and people that study jazz, people that play jazz. It's like a, it's, it's a very, uh, religious experience. Yeah. It is. It's a, it's a spiritual experience. Um, when this happened, I was on a tour we'd finished four shows and it was real great. Everyone was feeling really good about it. This, there was a real strong sense of community. And then the whole thing got shut down. Yeah. And so, um, my kids were on midterm break. So the first thing I did was nothing. I, because I have three kids and I'm living in a house with them and I was like, we're quarantined for the next two weeks. So, um, cause the CDC had put out those guidelines and like, I'm like, I'm like, look, I don't like, I, I love essential oils. They're great. They smell great. <laughs> but when the director of the scent, like the centers for disease control says, please stay at least a certain amount of feet from people and wash your hands, just maintain these sort of common practices. I'm like, that seems like a really good idea. That's not really that difficult. My kids are on spring break, so let's have a staycation. And the, and the crazy thing was, is that we'd actually gone to California in February. I got asked to um, be part of an event during uh, uh, the Los Angeles Religious Education Congress. So I was there. And so we took the kids and we kind of had our midterm break there, um, which now in retrospect is kind of crazy. Uh, but anyways, we spent a week home and I just tried to unplug as much as I could which was really hard because I was feeling the pull and the temptation to like go on Instagram and hit the live button and sing a song and yeah. share a few words. And I just said, you know what? My kids just really need me right now. And I'm as a dad, like they need to be able to, like I need to protect them, not from the news or from the truth, but it, they're kids. So like yeah. developmentally their bandwidth, what they can emotionally handle, like it, it's just, there's enough data now that, that, you know, in cognitive development and child development, this just says like, look, you, like that's part of your job as a parent is allowing your children to be children and, and like providing a safe place for them to grow and ask questions and then be like, dad, what is coronavirus? Like, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of process that. And then last week they went back to school and all of a sudden the thing that my wife and I vowed we would never do which is be homeschooling parents. All of a sudden we are homeschooling parents. And it's a crazy, like, like that's a thing that like, we're, they're going to look back on this like 30, 20 years from now, they're going to go, you remember the time when the entire American, American educational system changed overnight and we yeah. never talked about it. So it's really, and there's no, there's no standards. So my kids are at a Catholic school. There's like three or four different learning applications teachers were scrambling during their really their spring break. They didn't have a spring break because they're going like, we got to figure out how to take our, the rest of our curriculum and put it all online. Yeah. And 
you, you're totally disrupting a child's learning style. So it's been crazy. So we did that last week and got used to that. It's like, yes, I know that this is where you normally sit in your pajamas and watch Power Rangers, but now you need to do your math homework. <laughs> and um, oh, and it's Lent. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we're kind of on the other end of that. So now I'm just, I'm kind of like getting my head above water, I think to some extent. And trying to press into the moment and as a creative person, like who has like, you know, I'm very, I, I totally understand. Like I'm very privileged. Like I've got a great space to create music and stuff in. And so I've just been kind of trying to create space to pray, to listen and not, um, and not just kind of like throw something out there for the sake of throwing something out there. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of people right now who, we're traveling for a living and I was, I've been very fortunate in the sense that actually over the past couple of years, that's becoming less and less where I've kind of derived my revenue from and um, more so just as a songwriter. And so in this space, then when you're writing stuff, you know, it um, songwriting's actually gotten increasingly more and more difficult. I feel like for me, if I'm totally honest, because there's, I think every time you go to a place when you're a creative person, part of you revels in the idea of it being like undiscovered country. Right. Does, you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. And so when you go back to places that are familiar, mm -hmm. um, part of you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to make something based on this. Thing. Like I've already been here before. And so, um, but the interesting is when you're talking about your faith, are you talking about the scriptures or, or, um, you know, the sacramental life of the church, whatever. Um, it's always an undiscovered country. There's mm -hmm. always an opportunity to dive deeper, you know? So, um, I had this revelation yesterday in the middle of prayer. I helped film a mass, uh, at socially appropriate distances for our kids, Catholic school. And I did the music for it. And after I was kind of wrapping up my cables and, uh, you know, waving to people who are like 30 feet away. And, yeah. um, and it was really, it, it was, it was very, very strange, but there was also something very, very um, comforting about it. And there was this moment where I was thinking about communion and I, I think about how much, how many people right now are aching because of not being able to like participate in the Eucharist. And the fear and the temptation is that all we do is stay inside of our own ache. Yeah. Because that's part of the problem with the world that we live in already is that it's like what the Holy Father keeps saying when he's saying we're self-referential. What he's talking about is you're, you're a narcissist. And I think part of what I'm realizing of what sainthood looks like is when you get pulled outside of yourself and you either start to think of others first, meaning your family or your loved ones. But I think if you're single, if you're religious, it's you're really learning to lean into the Lord. And what does the Lord think? And what does the Lord feel? And like I it bought, I had this thought yesterday and it I, I don't know if it'll turn into a song because there's certain things that stuff comes. And like, I don't like I don't know how to write a song about that. But like it was basically just this image of Jesus waiting for the whole world in the, in the Eucharist. And I was thinking about my own grief of not being able to receive. And, uh, and I felt like the Lord says, like, well, imagine how I feel. Mm. That as much as the church, as people right now long to receive him in the Eucharist, like you have to like next Holy Thursday, imagine the longing in his heart of what if it was like, while well, he was instituting the Eucharist, knowing in his heart of a time thousands of years into the future when his whole bride wouldn't be able to receive him. Mm. Yeah. And he still offered himself up. And that, um, that's, I kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. Um, mm. And I think that's kind of one of the things I'll care. I'll probably share more about it next week, but that's one of the things I'm kind of carrying with me is just the ache of God, not so much the ache of me, mm. because I think, 
that like the ache of God, I think is ultimately what moves people to create. I don't think it's just the human ache that makes people create great art. I think it's the human ache. And I think it's when God meets you with his ache. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me want to cry. (laughs) I'm struggling right now. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. This is bourbon actually. Uh, No. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. That's sort of the, you know, um, uh, the, you know, it's the, um, I guess it's the source and, uh, well, I guess that's what they call it. The source and summit Yeah, you know, makes sense. And it's not just the source and summit of like, of all the good things, mm. but it's the source and summit of like all the, all the loneliness and all the fulfillment of all loneliness, I guess. Mm. Maybe. There's so, a, yeah. So that's, I've been kind of chewing on that past couple of days and probably into, into Holy week and the Triduum. And, and, uh, I think that, um, my, the first thing I guess I would say is I just put out an album in March called alive and breathing. And it's funny that title song I wrote it like last January and I was actually in a pretty tough place spiritually when I wrote it, I was kind of in a place of feeling isolated and like I was in a hole spiritually. Um, so when this all happened, I was just kind of like, I, I was, I, part of me was interiorly laughing going like, are, are we going to do this again? Like, <laughs> I thought we just got, I thought we just got done with this. You know, um, my dad died and then uh, in 2017 and then my aunt died, his sister in 2018. And I made uh, Advent to Christmas and we moved out of our house because we were renovating it and we ended up having to knock down 90% of it. So January of like last year was just a weird point. I was living in a rental house and my house was just this like bare bones and it felt like this is never going to get done. And now I look back on it and go like, man, I would give anything to be in that world again. Wow. Um, but what I will say is that um, the experience of, of staring at something that's been completely taken apart um, was really valuable because I felt like that's what God was doing in a way, like even with my own faith hmm. um, was, uh, and I don't think that's like a one-time thing. Like I think that in 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 the cycles of living of uh, like living a seasonal life, you know, kind of rooted in the liturgical calendar, or, you know, all the great saints talk about dark nights of the soul, and that's not like a singular event. I think that's part of the issue is that a lot of people we tend to look at that as somehow being a, a stepping stone into greater Christian maturity. And I just don't, I, you know, I think there's several problems. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Deconstruction. I mean, that's a word that a lot of people, it's become a much more popular word. I love the image of your house being like deconstructed as like part of a renovation. Um, even if it's like 90%, because there is a, um, I think that, the false images of God that we have have to die in order for them to be replaced by like healthy images. That's what um, the deconstruction actually is. It's all your yeah. eyes dying. And a lot of people mistake it for faith. And I yeah. think it's a harder thing. And it's actually a greater depth of humility to say, Oh wait, who I projected God to be. It actually isn't who the church says he is. Um, it's not who I thought he was. And it's wrong. So I got to let it die. And I, I think the process of that is really difficult. I sympathize. Uh, I have a lot of compassion for a lot of people who go through that and come out on the other end and don't know how to fit. Um, they don't know how, where Christ or, you know, Christianity or their Catholicity fits. Um, I, I, you know, I've been through this. I want to say I've been through this a lot, but like when I was 20, 25, I found out I got hepatitis C 
from a blood transfusion when I was 13 years old. I got it because the state of Arkansas was selling bad blood to the province of Ontario. And uh, hepatitis C is a virus that attacks your liver. It uh, There's like tons of commercials now on it. Like, well, there were um, like over the past couple of years. And it's like it, um, a lot of it was geared towards people who were teenagers in the 60s um, or in the 70s. And because a lot of people got it through drug use. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, I had it for 27 years and then I had to do like a type of chemotherapy back then. And that was actually when I wrote Your Grace Is Enough was during that time. And I always joke and say that that song was about a breakup. And it it was only about six months ago that I realized that the Lord was like, no, that's like, okay, yes, that was like the catalyst. He's like, but you were on chemotherapy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, which is very like, that's sometimes like, I, I definitely, I miss the forest for the trees. Yeah. And, uh, like I, I had anemia. I lost 40 pounds. That's why my hair turned gray faster. And, uh, wow. Did yeah, not know that. it accelerated. Well, yeah, there's, they don't really know what causes your hair to turn gray, but they, some of it doc, like science does stipulate that they think some of it has to do with the health of your gut. And I mean, uh, ribavirin, which is ironically enough now one of the drugs they're trying to use to cure or to help stop COVID, is an immune suppressant. So um, that's what it did. It, it, it you know killed my immune system. So uh, it was a really looking back on it, like I go like it was such a dark night of the soul. Like I I I was working full time at a parish, and the pastor was kind of a workaholic. And, uh, uh, like I took, I got sick on my days off. Like I worked six days a week and then on my day off, like Thursday night, I would inject myself with drugs and then I'd be sick on Fridays and then I'd go back and play masses on Saturdays and Sundays. And, and, uh, but like, that was like one of the most prolific periods of my life when I was writing so much music. And like, I realize now that there, when you're a creative person and you make art, that's, God's going to use that to help you, you know, as Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. There's stuff that can only be born of suffering and there's stuff that can only be born of pain. And when I look back, I realize most of my songs were written because I was in a pit and I got, I had to sing my way out. Mm. And uh, I mean, that's, you know, typically what, uh, what I've been through. You know, um, and it's not all like, I, you know, deeply tragic stuff. It doesn't have to be. Some of it just could be like you struggle with loneliness or you struggle with depression. And and I think in this time, like as soon as this happened, like I said earlier, like I felt the temptation to go online and just start making stuff. And then, and then I just felt Jesus just kind of gently pull me in and be like, hey, how about you spend time with me and you spend time with your family and uh, like just kind of get into a rhythm. And so it's hard. It's really, really hard right now because it's very, very disruptive. But um, so I would say that the couple things that I've been trying to do is like some form of like physical wellness Cause you just can't sit all day. Like you have to move like literally if it's even like just do squats or like pushups, you're like, you have a body and you're a steward of it. Oh, no shit. <laughs> so, uh, I've you, been before this yeah. interview, I was like, uh, incredibly, um, I mean, I was definitely feeling insecure and very wooly. And so I like, just danced in my room for (laughs) like 30 minutes. Um, And there's something just about like being able to get into your body to feel, um, yeah, to be able to feel confident. Um, Dude, it's, it's just a physical thing. Like we know enough now about science, like your body makes uh, hormone pheromones that make your brain feel really happy. So go do some pushups. And I promise you after it, you're, Heart rate will go up, you know, go 
get a glass of water and drink it and five four minutes later like whatever outlook you have if there's like a fog and a cloud over you part of it there will be a break in it um that's a small part i think the second part is like there are seasons and there's moments in the history of the church where god shut like everything down because he was trying to break through to people's hearts and i think we're just in one of those moments where this is a massive opportunity like we think right now is bad and it could be just way much it just could be way much worse like um i mean that that's the reality you know there's a massive difference between you know tens of thousands of people dying and millions of people dying it's it um every human life has dignity but on a so like a sociological level that level of death is just going to be really really hard to process and what god needs are people who can hear him in the midst of it who have something to offer of hope when this whole thing is over and so if we're just spending all our time spinning our wheels either being distracted or being entertained and avoiding our own dark nights of the soul or avoiding the own areas of our life where God's like, Hey, that thing that you've been avoiding bringing to me or talking to me about or talking to someone else about now's the time. Like let's like, let's liberate you from that. Like whether it's just like a massive level of like, um, maybe it's your ego, you know, maybe it's, um, massive insecurity. You know, newsflash, a lot of creative people are very, very deeply insecure. And some of us even, we believe the lie that we think that our insecurity is actually like tied to our art. And what I would say is that your, 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 the sensitivity of your heart is, but you can have a stronger sense of who you are and your identity and worth in God and by who he says you is or who he says you are, sorry, then um, then necessarily whether or not people comment or like what you do. I mean, I guess that's the thing was like, I put out an album in March at the beginning of the month and then I was on a tour. And historically that's how people have found out about my music is I just go play in front of people. And then the tour I was on, was can I was canceled. And yeah. so very naturally as an artist, you have the tendency to just go, well, I guess the whole world's gonna forget about this album that I made. Yeah. And, but I've just learned, like, I think there's bigger fish to fry right now. Yeah. And, and it's okay. And, and I think part of it too, is that I think when you're a creative person, you have to believe in the fact that the last thing you did, isn't the best thing you did. Um, you have like, you have to keep moving and you have to, you have to be willing to be like, well, maybe it's the last time I make that. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. hard because everyone else is, if you make something that, that everyone resonates with and likes, the temptation is for them to go like, we'll just make that again. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, I can't. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even trying to make that when I made that. You, uh, last time we talked on the podcast, you talked about, like, if you want to be a good artist, you have to have your heart broken, like go and get your heart broken. Like, could you explain more of what you mean by that? And also like perhaps how that you feel like that might be relevant to people right now? Um, the, the story was a guy who was um, a songwriter for, this is back when I was in school in Canada. And it was a guy who was a professional songwriter and he moved back from Toronto to Newfoundland um, to get his education degree. And he was interning at a high school. One high school student said, I want to write better songs. And he said, go get your heart broken. And I think that there are moments in life where our hearts break from something. And there are moments in life where our hearts break for something. And I think either one is crucial. Actually, I think they're both crucial. And I think that getting your heart broken from something is a very more commonly shared human experience. Like it literally starts as a kid, you know, as a kid growing up, 
your heart gets broken by friends, by family, you know, by events in life. The first time someone you care about dies, it breaks your heart. The first time you're, you have a pet that dies, it breaks your heart. The first time you fall and hurt yourself or the first time that somebody makes a joke at your expense. And I think the first step to being an artist is getting back in touch with those moments because we do keep a tally. We, we keep a tally, whether we admit it or not, everyone keeps a, a, a rolling Rolodex of those, of those defining moments in life. And we either make spiritual vows because of them and we make decisions about our character and who we are and the ways in which we're going to interact with the world, you know, stuff happens. You know, the reality is, is that, like um we're we're just not siloed right yeah so we get our hearts breaking from things and this virus right now and people staying up at night and either going to websites that aren't have no journalistic integrity and you know um could be russian hackers just trying to destabilize our country <laughs> <laughs> that stuff is 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 not it's your heart's going to get broken um there's another kind of art that gets made when your heart gets broken for something mm -hmm. and that's like falling in love or that's um on a spiritual level having an, a, an epiphany and a moment when you get a vision of something that's bigger than yourself and you want to leverage who you are and your resources towards it. And, um, a lot of people will have those experiences like when they go on mission trips, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're building houses or you're digging wells or you're interacting with the poor and your heart gets broken for them. You know, mm -hmm. it's when you, go on a retreat and you have this amazing spiritual experience and you have friends who feel lost and you empathize with them, what that feels like. And you're like, Oh, I want you to have this experience too. That's your heart getting broken for something. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that there's like, there's totally a link between trauma and like the, the experience of, of an epiphany or making really good art. Um, yeah. I think that, like trauma in a way is a deconstruction. It like deconstructs the, the world view that you had, the identity that you had, the view of God that you had, um, the sense of safety that you had. And then like all of a sudden, like in that deconstruction, when there's nothing left, like art is the, the potential thing that is the making, like the recreation of meaning. Um, but I think that a lot of people, and this is something I've experienced very deeply, like, when you're in the middle of trauma, it's very hard to make that effort of me. It's like a silence, you know, like silence is the first, the first reaction. And then the movement to making art, it can be very difficult to like make that step. Um, sometimes it can feel like disingenuous uh, or like performing and you don't want to do that, but also you really want to like, you don't want to stay stuck and on and blocked. You don't want to like give yourself an excuse. So what do what would you say to somebody who's like their heart is breaking or has broken, but they want to make that step towards being creative with it and transforming that into good work, but they they're struggling to make that translation. Um, I think you, you got to find a way to work out, work it out, work out how you feel. Some people need to talk it out. If you're experiencing trauma or grief, right. Which is because sometimes a lot of trauma, what it does is unlock a, a like a, an underground well of grief that you had no idea existed. Yeah. Did, you know, does that make sense? Oh, totally. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, I'm around this person and I just, they're like, they're so emotionally draining to me. And every time they talk, I get nervous or I get anxious and I don't know why. And it's like, you do a little bit more work of peeling back the layers and you're like, oh, it actually reminds me of this event that happened X at X time. And I've never really dealt with this. 
Mm -hmm. It's this whole reservoir of grief. So like, um, go through the stages of grief. You know, I think one of the things that we were, that I feel like the church was more so the younger church was, has been sort of advocating for in um, recent years. And I think to use charismatic language to talk about something that a lot of people would not talk, call, call charismatic. I think God has been sort of prophetically speaking through the need for therapy. Yeah. Like I, I actually don't think that that's just a bunch of like emotional mumbo jumbo. I think it's literally the spirit of God saying to people, no, I want you to be whole and your mind or your, your emotional well-being isn't whole. And, and this is actually affecting your sanctity or your ability to pursue sanctity. And, um, but the part of the issue is it's such a recent phenomenon in a recent field and the church just moves incredibly slow on things. So when we start talking about the new evangelization, like, I think that that's actually probably one of the biggest forefronts on it is the ability for people to actually just, and that's the thing, like why I encourage with like generations who are like about a decade or younger than me, there seems to be way more of a willingness or a desire to pursue like wholeness. Yeah. And um, I don't think that that's a bad, I think it's actually a really, really good thing at the same time. Um, so right now, uh, what you probably need a little bit of is grit, which is just, so what I would say is when I was developing skills as a songwriter, cause I, what you just described, that was me last year. Like I, I didn't, I was just emotionally tapped out and I realized a lot of it was uh, tangled up in the massive world, massive uh, first world problem of renovating my house. It sucked all my creativity out of me. Like I had nothing, I had nothing. I, um, and, uh, and so I think even stepping back into this, what I would say is just, um, if you're, I would say as a musician, like, going back to making stuff that makes you feel something. Um, that's what I did. I just, I kind of got into a place where I was like, I just need to make things that, that feel true to who I am. And I, I have no, I like you lose objectivity, whether something's objectively good or not mm -hmm. based on all this like analytical data. So you just go, does it move me? Yeah. Does it make me feel something? And because it's not bad. It's just, I think sometimes like when you're a musician, you can get so incredibly cerebral about right. that. And I'm like, that's not what drew you to music. You know, most of us as kids were drawn to it because it made us feel something like it makes the hairs on your arm stand up, you know, yeah. and, uh, or it moves your heart. So I would say going, going back to that place. Um, I think it's a discipline, you know, and, like if you're single right now and you're in an apartment by yourself, this is a window of time that you have as an ability to grow in your capability of whatever your field of uh, artistic expression is. You'll never get this amount of time back. I, bet I would say to young people who would say, uh, who'd come up to me, you know, college students or teenagers, and they'd be like, I want to do what you do. Um, do you have any advice? And I was like, yeah you have way more time at your disposal than someone my age, because I just have more obligations now in my life. Like I've got kids and I have my wife and I've got dogs and like, <laughs> I have a, I have a, I have a kind of a set career and there's like, my kids are at a Catholic school and like, I'm, I'm trying to help out at my parish and I'm like, you know, my wife's not Catholic. So we go to another church and I'm trying to help out with that church. So the, like there are there are relational and uh, commitments that that quantify themselves with the usage of time. Right. When you're younger and you don't have as many obligations, that's one of the biggest things that you have in terms of equity that you can invest is your time. So like yeah. right now, if you're a guitar player or if you're a singer or if you're an actor, like right now you have the ability to focus on mastering the expression of your face and like 
you have access to the internet, which is pretty much the world's brain trust at this point. Um, so figure out what whatever skill set you have as a creative person. What are you lacking in? What's the area of insecurity? What's the area of growth that you've avoided because it takes such a massive amount of time? Now's the time. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. now, now's the time to work on that. If you, and that's the thing I would say too, is that if you can't create something, then just work on getting better at what you do. So if you can't get the discipline, if it's hard to get the discipline going of like, well, I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to write lyrics in a journal and I'm just literally going to write what I feel, or I'm going to read the daily readings every day. And then I'm going to spend five minutes writing what I feel. Um, there's a great book called Writing Better Lyrics by Pat Pattinson, who taught at Berkeley. John Mayer reads the book every year, I think it is like. And the whole thing is like object writing. That's like one of the biggest lessons in the book. And so it's like, I'm going to spend five minutes writing about something, but never directly referencing it um, as a lyricist. You know, so like I would say that that's like writing down a list of, 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 like if you can't get super emotionally inspired right now, then get practical and like figure out like what's like three or four things that I could do that man would really, I would, I would look at this season. I would look back on the season when it's over and go, I'm so glad I did that. Does that make sense? If you're, an, if you're an illustrator and you're great with, you know, you're, you're great with pencils, but you're terrible with watercolors. Now's the time to work on watercolors. Yeah. You know, the temptation is going to be to go, well, I can do this. So I'm just going to do this over and over and over and over again. Um, and there, and at the same time, like, that's the thing. There's a, there's a, there's a real stark reality of like, I got to try to make a living uh, the same way that everyone else is right now. Um. But that's what I would do if I was creative. And even if I was newly married, I mean, I'd, I'd have a conversation with my spouse and make sure that they like that we're like staying connected, but then also say like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to like tackle a couple of key specific things. Like one of the things that I really wanted to grow in is my ability to do incidental or, or like film scoring music. So every day I'm trying to come back in my studio and do like a minute and a half thing that the world may never hear. It's just me trying to exercise a muscle and growing a skill set um, every day. And it's just like, I'll just pick an image in my head, kids playing outside. And then it's like, okay, make up a minute and a half of music that in my head, if I saw a video image or an image of kids playing outside, it, it corresponds to that. Yeah. Um, so like, that's one of the things that I'm doing and I'm doing a lot of, I'm still doing co-writing, which ironically enough, isn't too terribly affected by this because people yeah. are already writing like long distance over zoom or Skype or, right. uh, you know, Facebook. So, um, yeah, that's one of the, the, I think sort of unforeseen kind of cool opportunities, I think in a way. And, uh, uh, you know, and not to plug your page, but I think that the neat thing about watching this, the Catholic creatives community is saying it's a lot of like-minded people who right now are all in the same situation to some extent. And how could they all start finding ways to kind of collaborate? Yeah. Like uh, to that note, I've also felt a lot of blockage as a, um, as a creative right now, like my, I'm looking at, uh, in a lot of ways, like the shambles of my life and, and there's a, uh, like deep fear around, um, you know, that we had to reschedule the summit and there's all this stuff that like makes that a really fragile thing. And, um, the financial situation for our company is like really, really tough. And all of these relationships are like, uh, tied to all of it. It's just like, wow, I could, um, I could just stay in an anxiety hole for like weeks and weeks if I, um, and not write anything. And, um, even when I made, I made like a commitment, a uh, public commitment to writing because I knew it would be really important for me and for my own health. Um, and because I also wanted to wave a banner to be like, all right, guys, like let's commit to doing it. Cause this is the moment, you know, the world needs us. And, uh, 
one of the things that I did was I challenged Kate Capato, um, who's an illustrator and a dancer to like, kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making a commitment, like, Hey, you can make a commitment. And, and she was like, Hey, why don't you like, why don't you pick an image that I, I painted and like write a poem about that? And I was like, ah, that's, that's interesting. I never would have thought of that. Um, and I found this amazing painting that she had painted, uh, about, Eve and it was just a really dark image of grief and it just like spoke to me but I I am not somebody that generally sits and looks at a painting for a long time like I'm just never really done that and this experience of like having to write about it made me look at it and what it did was it created this incredible um like intimacy with the art of this person that I did not like, I, I don't really know her that that well, but like, uh, I felt like I was like stepping into her soul, you know, um, it afforded this amazing intimacy. And then out of that intimacy, I was able to write like one of the best writing sessions that I've, I've had in years. Um, it kind of unlocked my own grief by like connecting with her ache that she had when she made this thing of this compassion, um, for my own ache and a sense of camaraderie in it that like unlocked a wellspring for me. And I just like, I hope that other people like tap into that kind of like intimacy with each other to like riff off of each other's art, because I just think it's like a, I don't know. It's one of the most easy and valuable and accessible like ways of being inspired right now that is out there. Yeah, I, I think to piggyback on that, like that's one of the things I would say I noticed about the spiritual dimension in the sense that like I was joking with a, a buddy of mine. I said, yeah, the whole world's been cloistered. But in some ways, like we we are all on a retreat, you know, and I think in every aspect of who you are. Hold, hold on, sweetie. It's <laughs> my life. You need a yeah. Yeah. Do you want to come say hi really quick? I'm, I'm doing an interview. Hi. This is Rowan. Hey, Rowan. <laughs> Hi. Um, I'm, I'm doing an interview right now. On the we internet. need electric tape right I, now. I you, what's it for? Is it for wires or what? It's, it's not for wires. Um, our white thing of our background is the monkeys. Okay. It keeps flying away. Okay, I will, I'll be right over there in a little bit. I just got finished we this interview. We need it right now. <laughs> hey, Mom. Tell you, we need it no, right now. She tell your mom, Daddy. She is, says we need it. Okay, I'm gonna call your mom. Okay, you go back. Thank you. Nope. In here. I know. I have to finish this interview. Daddy. Honey, do you want to watch your shows later? What? I said, do you want to watch your shows later? Okay. Then I need you to let me finish Daddy, this interview. It's a movie now. Actually, no. Being held hostage. Um, <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna call her. This is great. This is life. This is life now. This is, life. This is like a, a window into the life of Matt Mar. Yeah. Just like one of us. <laughs> oh yeah. No, and that's the thing. That did, hey, yeah, I need to talk to your mother. <laughs> I have to go through my kids now. <laughs> I Can you tell her I'm I'm literally live on the internet right now doing an interview and so I can't help <laughs> turn them in. <laughs> you guys, anybody that's live, that's watching and commenting on how hilarious this is, you guys should all share. Need it right now. Some of the videos of your own interruptions, your life interruptions with, hey, your with us. To her. I'll be back. I know you have them. I'll have your dress, by the way. Um, oh, skirt. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Uh, everyone's on a retreat. We're basically there are aspects to who we are in our art and there are aspects to who we are in our character that God is forming and reforming. And so if you're an artist who hates making art with other people, now's probably the time that God actually wants to break that because he wants you to be a whole person. And so part of the thing like with art is that uh, a lot of the times, some of the most profound art gets made through really broken people, but I really am of the firm volition that, um, that brokenness is a well, but it's not a crutch. So 
like when I started following, following Jesus 25 years ago, one of the things I became really aware and apparent of was how codependent I was. And that's one of the things that I like over those 25 years, I realized that God's been trying to like redeem and restore in me. And my insecurity doesn't have to, I don't need to carry it like some internal badge of honor and be just basically be, be a broken person my whole life and be like, I'm okay with that because I got to make great art. Because you know, Aquinas at the end of his life, he said, it's all straw. And like, what's he said? What, what's it? It's his intellect. Mm-hmm. Literally, it was an idol. It's my favorite quote. It was it's my favorite quote. It's his gift. It's the gifting that God used through him to like bless the church with like, you know, all those Eucharistic hymns, you know, the Summa, all of it. But at the end of his life, he's just going like, God, he's re, you know, it's sort of like God, this is not why God loved me. This is, and in fact, this is not even why God put me on the earth. Like, um, God put me on the earth to know him and be known. And for that also that, that contextually to happen like with and among other people. And, um, so now it's like, sort of like, now's the time. It's like what you said, you know, it's like the world needs us. And it's like, well, I think the temptation for me to think is that the world needs my songs. Yeah. Um, and that's that, but that's not true because there's better songs. There'll always be, there's always going to be better, better music or better paintings or better. What the world needs is you, but they, but God would love for the world to get to know the best version of you. Uh, the the most whole version of you. And so like I like your story, the first time I ever walked through the Chicago Art Institute was with Mac Powell, the lead singer of Third Day. That here's this guy from Atlanta, Georgia, who's like a total redneck. Love him. One of my favorite people. Over the past several years developed this massive appreciation of art. And every time he was on tour somewhere, he'd get off a bus and he'd go to it. He'd, he'd spend all day at an art museum staring at art. And that was like one of these moments where I was like, you talk about deconstruction. God was deconstructing my the uh, false opinions that I hold about people of like, oh, you make this. Therefore, you must be like this all the time. You must associate with these kind of people. Therefore, you think this. And it's like, no, man, people are people. And I think I think the biggest thing about one of the biggest things about being a Christian is not get stuck into these like trappings of, of seeing people just for like the surface of, right. you know, and, and sort of, you know, like Jesus, there's something about you, Zacchaeus, or there's something about you, Matthew, the tax collector, or there's something about you, Peter. And I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you to celebrate what makes you, you, and at the same time, call you to like a, a more whole version of yourself, which includes me finding electrical tape. <laughs> which we've got to get going to do right now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, thanks so much for uh, your wisdom. Uh, there's like been so many moments when I've teared up just oh. sitting here listening because it's just um, like I feel such a deep kindredness to like so much of what you're talking about that like the call out and, and the challenge and also the love um, are just so like paired and present in, in your voice and in your way of, of uh, speaking to us as creative. So oh, um, well, I just, uh, think it's like, we're all children of God, but we're disciples. And yeah. that, and that doesn't have to be like literal or literally apparent in our art, but it needs to be apparent in who we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, to be a follower of Jesus and a follower of his way is to be about like, you know, the transformation of the world and the restoration of like humanity and who we are as people. And so, yeah, my encouragement is, you know, uh, Palm Sunday's coming up and Holy Week's coming up and just, it's a lot of people are saying like, it's, there's this weird dichotomy of it where the church is literally going to celebrate. We're journeying towards Calvary. And as we are, this virus is sort of rearing up to start the peak places and it can all just be so overwhelming. And just leave with a couple of practical tips. If you need, if you want to stay informed, 
read the news, don't watch it. So don't turn on your TV late at night and watch hours and hours of commentary. Whatever people are talking about, you can probably disseminate it in the morning and in the evening at a reputable news source like like a newspaper, like the New York Times, the Washington Post. Um, understand, like in this day and age, like the a lot of the paradigms in which we existed like still exist. And as Christians, like I really do believe that God wants us to be like the healthiest versions of ourselves. So just don't get caught in sort of the, try not to get caught in spending so much time being polarized by something. Don't and ride the roller coaster. Don't ride the roller coaster, man. Like, uh, yes, like journey with Christ, journey with Christ next week. But if you want to be informed, yeah, be informed morning at night, get some physical activity, read your Bible or read the readings for the day, try to enter into the, like the, the prayer rhythm of the church and see this as an opportunity where God is trying to call you to like, he's calling you to change. I mean, that's what Lent is where we reflect on our baptism. This is our, our identity, like who we are, but it's also, we've been on a journey. And so it's never, and that's the great thing about Lent. Like if, you know, Palm Sunday, what what would be said, you know, at a lot of the at a lot of our parishes on Sunday is like we're going to journey through the Lord's passion and Lent isn't it's not over. It's not done. It's not wasted. Whatever you started Lent hoping to accomplish, God can do it in an instant. So it it's sort of an opportunity like. Just maybe like allow that reset to hit or maybe allow God to like forge new territory. Yeah. It's fantastic. Such good, such good advice. Um, Go get electrical tape for your kids when they ask for it. Exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. Would you be open to, to praying for us and praying for the community sure. before you close in prayer? Yeah. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are that you're good, that you made us in your image and likeness, and that your love and mercy are constants. They don't change. They don't deviate. And it's that sense of constancy and consistency, Lord, that we all just so desperately need right now. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, and that he journeys with us and into the depths of our hearts in seasons like Lent, but especially this Lent. And as we enter Palm Sunday and enter Holy Week in the Paschal Triduum, I pray for a deeper revelation of what aches your heart, God. Mm. As we bring our concerns to you, um, our anxieties, our fears, that um, you would help us or give us pause to consider your ache, the ache that you have for the world. And that, um, God, as we come with heartbreaks from things, that um, maybe this Easter there would be a heartbreak for something. Mm. And... Uh, Help us consider our gifting and our talent uh, in love of you, in celebration of who you are, but also in service of the story that you're writing in humanity. And uh, I thank you that you have always used art as a way of reflecting upon um, the splendor of who you are, but also how fearfully and wonderfully we are made. And uh, just pray that we would all experience uh, a deeper sense of dying and rising with you as we journey towards Easter. Amen. Amen. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, everybody else, for joining us for the conversation. It was really, really beautiful to have all of you alongside us in this. In this. So, uh, everybody, like, let's get creating and uh, post your stuff on uh 
on the with the hashtag Catholic Creatives and and through Fire so that we can see your stuff. And maybe Matt, you can uh, you can post something that you've done too at some point uh, on, with those hashtags so we can see it and join the challenge. Yeah, there, there's a there's a there. I got more video footage of my daughter. Uh, who's already a budding songwriter. So I'll go ahead and post those. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Matt. Thanks so much. All right. God bless. Bye. Bye. All right. If you, um, if you want to also save your, your file, I'll just shoot you a Google drive folder that you can drop it into. So perfect. We'll do great. Talk to you later, Matt. All right. Thanks, bro.